Welcome to Raven Debriefs. I'm your host, Susan Smitten. I saw my chest and the hero, I guess. Beads on my neck and my earlobes are stretched. I'm normally regular, so unconventional. Are we original? Yes. Phone on, I got a bone to pick. I got trust issues I can never fix. I'm true to myself and my promise. And when I'm in Rome, I do the opposite. Got my voice back with my artifacts. Now I'm talking shit with my talking stick. From pop notch bands on our own land, where illegal pot was provocative. We drumming our drums as usual. We singing our songs as suitable. We dance to it all so movable. We do it together, it's beautiful. I'm breathing heavy, I love it. My palms are sweaty, I love it. My culture's alive, I love it. The art is revived, I love it. Raven is the only organization in Canada that's expressly established to provide access to justice for Indigenous nations. Raven exists to level the playing field so that when nations are up against the very deep pockets of governments or corporations, they have the financial staying power to see legal actions aimed at protecting their rights and the environment all the way through. Usually that means all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. As our campaigns focus mainly on constitutional challenges, we very rarely address the experience of Indigenous peoples within Canada's criminal justice system. Right now, across Turtle Island, we are experiencing a flowering of anti-racist activism. On the other hand, we still contend with a system where Indigenous peoples make up 5% of the country's population, but more than 30% of the prison population. As an organization dedicated to seeking justice, Raven is joining the conversation about those gross inequalities. To begin, we reached out to Judge John Riley, the best-selling author of Bad Law, Rethinking Justice to a Post-Colonial Canada. My father was Irish. We grew up with all of the history of the abuses by England against the Irish. It was uh, pretty easy for me to identify with the Native people. My, uh, my Irish background had a lot to do with my conversion to the Indigenous way of thinking. And I'm really pleased to be introduced to Raven and its work. In a polarized world, few things are as powerful as the act of recognizing one's ignorance and working to self-educate and change oppressive systems. While there are many Indigenous practitioners of law whom we can and will talk to on this issue, Riley's 33 years of first-hand experience as an Alberta Provincial Court judge brings credibility to his call for the radical reform necessary to mend a broken justice system. I was the circuit judge for five years in the 80s, from 1981 to 1986. And during those years, I knew nothing about the Indigenous people. We were still calling them Indians then. That assignment lasted for five years. And then I was back in Calgary from 1986 until 1993, when I was transferred to be the resident judge for the town of Canmore. So I was again the, the circuit judge for the reserve. I think those five years of total ignorance were uh, an important part of my education because it made me angry that I didn't know more than I did. In the 80s, it was absolutely okay that I didn't know anything about the, the Indians because a judge was supposed to be objective and uh, you couldn't be objective if you knew 
things about the accused who are appearing in front of you. So I just dealt with the native people who came into my court uh, like everybody else. And then in the 90s, things changed. There was a growing awareness. In Alberta, we had what we called the task force on the criminal justice system and its impact on the Indian and Métis people of Alberta. And that produced a report called Justice on Trial. It was also referred to as the Causey Report. And and, and that was of special interest to me because Alan Causey was chief judge of the provincial court who invited me to apply for an appointment and, and kind of helped me through the process that made me a judge. So he said a couple of things in that report that uh, really came home to me. One of them was that judges who don't know anything about the communities where they preside are often seen to be judicial tyrants. And the other was that if you treat people who are not the same as if they are the same, that is systemic discrimination. So I read those reports and made up my mind that I was going to learn about the Indigenous people in my jurisdiction. Also, as the uh, resident judge for uh, Canmore, I was responsible for case management, which I'd never been as the circuit judge. Having taken on that responsibility of case management, I started counting through the dockets and, and I, could, I could count all the natives because I'd been going out there long enough. There's, there's only about 20 families. I recognize all the names of the people from the reserve. And I realized when I actually counted them that they made up about 90% of my court dockets. The reserve was, had a population of 3,000 people. The total area in the jurisdiction of that court was about 30,000 people. So they made up about 10% of the population and they made up about 90% of the cases. So I began to wonder why that was. In 1996, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People released its report, and I read that, and I was, I was shocked to learn about the brutality of the Canadian government in its dealing with the Indigenous people of this country. The brutality and the dishonesty, Laird and, and McLeod were making, were signing Treaty 7 here in, in this area in 1877, promising the Native people that their way of life would be preserved, while John A. Macdonald was presiding in Parliament and promising Parliament that he would eliminate the, the Native presence so that it would be as if the tribal society had never existed. Another thing that really came home to me because of my Irish Catholic background was we had a history of our people 
being executed for practicing the Catholic religion. My great-grandfather came here. He had been involved in the what they called the Troubles of, of 98. That was 1798. He was just somebody who was fighting to get his land back, and he would have been hanged if they had apprehended him, but he was able to slip away and come to Canada. So Canada was the country that gave us religious freedom, allowed us to go to mass without threat of being hanged or otherwise punished for it. And to learn that Canada had made the spiritual practices of the indigenous people unlawful, that people were actually going to jail for Sundances and, and potlatches, it made me angry. So I sort of announced my intention to make this system work for the, for the Native people in my jurisdiction. As a result of that, I was invited to a training session for what they called family group conferencing, and now they call it community justice conferencing. This training session, that was in January of 1997, was a life-changing event for me. Riley has become an outspoken proponent of Indigenous legal frameworks, including restorative justice circles, as an alternative to the punitive approach of Canada's criminal courts. I originally thought that our judicial system was a wonderful system because it was designed to prevent people from being punished wrongfully. When that session on, on conferencing taught me that punishment is not, it's not necessary at all. That the Native people have this entirely different way of dealing with wrongdoing, which was to gather in a circle and figure out how you're going to repair the harm that has been done by a wrongdoing. For the Indigenous people, community and relationship were the most important aspects of their lives. So what they wanted in dealing with wrongdoing was to restore the relationship and repair the community because community was so vitally essential in their preservation of their lives. So that was the first time I was 50 years old. I'd been a judge for 20 years. And that was the first time I had ever heard the term restorative justice. I learned about it through my interest in, in the Indigenous people and how they dealt with justice. One of the most amazing for me was a young lad who was involved in an assault and he had hit the victim and caused brain damage that was going to be permanent. I suggested we would deal with it by way of a circle. He was there with his grandparents, he being the accused offender. It was a, 
a, a very emotional case. These young native lads had gone out to a campground that should have been part of the reserve, but it had been taken back from the reserve. And so the elders would talk about how those people shouldn't be there. And young natives would go out and bang on the doors and the trailers and harass the people that were using this campground because they didn't think they should be there. So anyway, we have the circle. And the, the format of the circle is the accused speaks first, tells us what he was thinking, what he was feeling, then his grandparents comment, and then the victim comments, tells us how he felt at the time. They talk about their feelings at the time of the offense. And then you have a second round in which, having heard everybody speak, how do you feel about this now? His grandparents talked about how his mother was a terrible alcoholic, and when she would leave the boy with them, uh, he would get the counseling he needed, but sometimes she'd come back and take him with her, and then the advances they were making would be canceled. Then the victim interrupts, and, and, and when the thing had started, he had come in and he'd said, that boy should go to a penitentiary for what he's done to me. Then in the course of the rounds, he said, can I say something? And I said, yeah, what would you like to say? He says, I forgive him. My anger is gone. I think you should just let him go. That was easily an offense for which three to five years in a penitentiary would have been the appropriate prison sentence. I said, in view of the fact that the victim has indicated he's forgiven him and doesn't want him to go to jail, I won't send him to jail, but I'll put him on probation with terms that he get counseling and avoid alcohol and the usual drill. The Crown appealed that sentence. Uh, fortunately, it took a long time for it to get to the Court of Appeal. So when they heard the appeal, they said, well, this sentence is obviously wrong. It should have been a significant period of imprisonment. However, the report now is that he has done well on probation. He has not reoffended. And even though we think Riley was absolutely wrong, we're going to leave things as they are. You know, why the hell they couldn't have said, this obviously worked, we should be doing more of it. And, and the reason they don't do that is because they know the law and they apply the law. That case is one that I, I thought was amazing. I think that the healing that the victim experienced was huge. In a trial, we just want the facts. Somebody gets emotional and starts to cry. You adjourn the proceedings until they've regained their self-composure, and then you, you start in again. One of the things they said about the conference is that the Kleenex is the most important paper in the room. The criminal justice system 
tries to ignore emotions. You don't talk about how you feel. You just talk about the facts. This is what happened. And and that is so wrong because our emotions are what drive us to do the things we do. Uh, It's emotion that drives people to do wrong and emotion that will convince them that they should do right. to Raven Debriefs, the show that explores the intersection between indigenous and colonial legal orders. Here's a reading from John Burroughs' paper, With or Without You, Aboriginal Law in Canada. Quote, Sentencing circles draw upon both customary conflict resolution processes used by Aboriginal peoples and Canadian criminal law. Traditionally, the circle consists of people interested in participating in the resolution of a dispute. Usually the offender, the victim, and other individuals with skills that can be of use in restoring harmony. These people gather in a circle, one person speaking at a time, about what can be done to help the offender, the victim, and the community at large. End quote. The process itself often resolves the issues, but we don't talk. We have this system that goes back into the Middle Ages when the belief was that the king ruled by divine right and any breach of the law was a breach of the king's peace. You had a couple of serfs get into a fight and one of them chops off the other's arm. The the one that's chopped off the arm is in serious trouble, not because he's hurt the other one, but because he's breached the king's peace. He's broken the law, and the law has become like the golden idol. We sacrifice human lives on the altar of deterrence. We justify all of this imprisonment on the concept of deterrence, and we know that it doesn't work. People are sent to jail for committing crimes. They're released, and they commit again almost right away. And that's because the system says we can deter wrongdoing by punishing it. The reality of that is that people who do wrong often do wrong because of ignorance or illness. The native people see wrongdoing as ignorance in need of teaching or illness in need of healing. Like the majority of people I dealt with were suffering from from alcohol abuse. 
And so you send them to jail and they come out and they're thirstier than when they went in. It does very little good and it does huge harm and it costs us billions of dollars. So I am a, a tremendous supporter of the indigenous way, the restorative way. I believe that all punishment is just wrong because punishment means hurting people. If we're hurting people, that's wrong. That was the complete change of thinking I got as a result of spending too much time with indigenous people. Indigenous people make up somewhere between three and 4% of the total population of Canada and somewhere between 30 and 40% of the prisoners. The native population of Saskatchewan is 11% of the total population and about 80% of the prison population. And, you know, there are a couple of things. One of them is there's tremendous dysfunction in native communities that goes back to residential schools. The, the, the residential schools didn't just destroy families, they destroyed the whole social structure. And the Canadian Indian policy was designed to, to eliminate their social structure because John A. Macdonald and his cohorts believed that they should all just become like white men. And the destruction of their community structure and their family structure has left a lot of the native people in in a dysfunctional state of course my argument is that rather than locking them up for it we should be dealing with the underlying causes and trying to help them heal from the damage that has been done the other reason why there is such a disproportionate number of of native people is is racism and discrimination. So between the two, the overpopulation in prison is a serious sign of ongoing racism. We talk about reconciliation. I think the most wonderful thing the government could do in the field of reconciliation is to say, we've studied the indigenous way of dealing with wrongdoing and we're going to scrap ours and adopt theirs. To start with, it would save billions of dollars in the cost of running the, the prison system. I think the more people you can educate, the better. I tell Native communities, you never gave up the right to, to deal with the wrongdoing of your own people. When, when, the, when the Native people signed the treaties. They didn't give away those rights. They were taken from them by a process of attrition over the years. I think that Native communities that wanted to stand up to the government and say, look, this is an offense committed on our land between our people. We're dealing with it. It would certainly be something that would have to go to the Supreme Court of Canada, but I would think they would rule in favor of the Indian communities. I think that what they should be doing is saying, we're doing this, and if we can't handle it, we'll refer it to you. But that it should, first of all, be the jurisdiction of the First Nation. And that's the way I would deal with, with all wrongdoing. I would say, okay, 
we're going to have a justice coordinator who will take complaints and direct conferences and we'll get everybody involved when there's a complaint and we'll resolve it my dream is that they would all have their own system and that the the mainstream system would only be resorted to where the offenders refuse to cooperate The native people don't seem to blame. As a matter of fact, I've asked native speaking people if there's a word in their language for forgiveness. And both the Stony Elder and the Blackfoot Elder that I asked about that told me that they didn't think there was. And the reason for that is that before you forgive someone, you have to find fault with them. And in their culture and in their belief in spirituality and the spirit world, they believed that wrongdoing was often the, the result of, of bad spirits influencing the wrongdoer. And they didn't want to get involved because they didn't want those spirits coming after them. We have police forces and they enforce the white man's culture, which says they're in charge and they can order people to do this and to do that. We have a culture that says the police have the authority to arrest people who are breaking the law. There has to be a change of culture. I spoke at a, a conference in Ottawa a few years ago in which I thought I was really going to have some fun. I was going to generate some huge arguments, basically telling police my thoughts on justice. And I was amazed at how many agreed with me that said, yeah, fixing rather than punishing works better. We are grateful to John Riley, John Burroughs, Alan Causey, Tina Fox, and all of the practitioners of restorative justice who are changing the system from the inside out. Today's show featured John Riley and was produced by Andrea Palferman and Jessica Terazakios. Music was by Snotty Nose Res Kids. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe and review Raven Debriefs on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for lending us your ear.